0: Hey there. Here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kate Campbell, it's always a pleasure to be with you. How are you going?
1: Great to be back, Owen. Very well on this lovely sunny morning, thankfully. It's been a bit of a crazy week in terms of weather here in Melbourne.
0: Yeah, it is. We're recording this on the 6th of October and it is sun out today. So um, that just makes us all 20 or 30% happier at least, I'm sure. Um, today, we're joined by Matt from Aussie Firebug. Mate, how are you going? I'm very good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's our pleasure indeed, mate. You've, um, you've really just done some wonderful things with Aussie Firebug and the community that you've fostered. Um, I'm hoping that for an introduction to you, I was going to do an introduction, but then I was reading your about me page, and there's a there's a story on there about your old man and him, um, got you you and him going to the store and getting some soccer boots, I believe it was, or footy boots or something. Um, maybe you can just relive that kind of story for us and tell us a bit about like how you got involved in thinking about financial independence in the first place.
2: Yeah, that's um, I love that story. Uh, it's basically from. From when I was, you know, as early as I can remember, my old man, he's a notorious uh, tight ass. And um, whenever we used to go shopping as a child, uh, I always wanted, as, as you do, like, this is the marketing machine at work here. You, you know, they market to kids and they do a bloody good job at doing that. I wanted the best, you know, the Nike, the Adidas boots, the top of the range, and you know, he would always get me the sort of the, the middle tier, not not the worst ones, but the middle to the lower tier because, and I, I appreciate this now that I'm older. He, kids just grow out of clothes and shoes and everything so quick. It really is insane to spend, you know, $150, $200 back then um, on a pair of footy boots or whatever. But, um, yeah, he would always get me sort of the middle tier um, or the the lower middle tier, middle tier shoe. And I always used to think, like, when I – make my own money. I'm going to, you know, spend it on the best um, brand shoes and clothes and everything like that. And um, yeah. I, and I think the story that you're referring to, he, he would always, um, whenever I wanted like something really good, he'd, he'd tell me I'm dreaming uh, sort of like Daryl Kerrigan out of the, um, oh, what's it called? The, the famous movie there, the castle? Uh, the castle, that's it. Tell him he's dreaming, tell him he's dreaming. So yeah, um, yeah, so and and that sort of instilled you know good money management into my mindset as a child because you would always say to me, You know, Matt, um smart people save their money, stupid people, maybe not stupid, but other people spend their money and they and they waste their money. Don't be wasteful with your money. you want to save it, give you options later in life. But I didn't really know exactly what that meant when I was a kid. I just wanted the coolest stuff possible. Um, but you know looking back now, that was actually, Uh, set the foundations for uh, my money management skills and, you know, me inherently being a tight ass with, with money later on in life. And it's funny because when I first did, when I got my, my uh, part-time job as a kid, and I got it at 14 and 10 months, which was I think one month after the legal age limit that you could possibly get a job in Victoria at the time. um, I remember saving up, I was on $5 an hour at Hungry Jack's, believe it or not, five bucks an hour. And when I got enough money, the two hundred dollars to buy, I think at that point I was like, yeah, I was fourteen, nearly fifteen. I was into skateboarding back then, and I always wanted the Globe shoes. That was the hot, that was the hot shoe back then, and it was I think it was about 200, 220. And I saved up enough money uh, working at my part-time job to get those shoes because that's that was the goal. I'm like, going to work hard, save, and then get the the latest Globe shoe every single year. I'm going to have the best ones. And then when I got the money, I didn't end up buying the shoe. Because I, there was a connection I sort of made that I was like, I spent so much hours in the, the kitchen, the back of Hungry Jacks, which was actually really fun. I really liked that job, but it was hard. You know, I smelt disgusting after a shift and I'm like, I don't think the shoe is worth it now after I've spent all the, the hard work and energy getting the money. I don't think it's worth it. And I just sort of rolled with my, you know, whatever skate shoe I had back then. And I, th- I just always liked the idea of, you know, saving my money. And I, I wasn't quite sure what exactly I was saving for at such a young age, but I was always sort of uh, built like that, I guess. And I think a lot of it had to do um, with my old man and sort of the the money habits he instilled on me at a young age.
1: It's amazing. I, we've had quite a few listener stories now, and it, depending on how people talk to their parents about, and how their parents sort of talk to them about money when they're a so many of that those things stay with you, good or bad for your life, unless you actually sort of do something to change them. And um, yeah, it's always really interesting to hear. And I wanted to know a little bit about, so you you were working and saving at the age, from the age of sort of 15. When did you stumble across the idea of financial independence?
2: Yeah, it's a good question um, because financial independence like, I was lucky. One of the biggest advantages I ever had in my life was having parents, having loving and, and supporting parents. That's a huge, huge advantage just in the first place. But around the dinner table, there was active talk of investment, investing, and it was property investing because anyone knows, you know, two major religions in Australia Christianity and property investing, of course. And my parents being boomers, um, a lot of people out there could probably relate. Property investing is just a big thing with your parents and boomers in general because it's done. They've done so well, so I totally get it. So the talks around the dinner table was about property, it wasn't about shares because uh, my parents actually got burnt with shares, which is a whole nother story. But it was about property and sort of the mindset of smart people invest and it gives you options later in life. Like I remember that vividly being around the dinner table, so I didn't quite. Get it or financial independence wasn't really spoken about per se, but that idea of saving money and investing definitely was. So it was a huge, like you spoke about there, Kate, like the mindset um, and the psychology of that. Uh, like I grew up in that environment, which was is one of the biggest advantages I had. So the concept of financial independence, I didn't stumble across until later in life. I think it was around about twenty twelve or something. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, a very famous book. And there was a line in there, a sentence that just resonated, resonated with me um, so much. It was something like, "Assets make you money. All you need to do is get enough assets until eventually the money that they make eclipses your expenses," or something along that line. And my head just exploded when I—I I must have read that sentence like ten times because it was so simple. I was like, "This can't. It can't just be this simple, can it?" I'm Keppareem, like, yeah, it makes. Just get assets; they make money. Doesn't he wasn't speaking about you know what assets? He was just get assets; they make money. Eventually, you will become financially independent. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, now I sort of have a a goal to work, work work towards because I was always a pretty good saver, but it was I didn't have a a long overarching strategy or goal to walk work, work towards because it was it was it was always like a few thousand dollars and then I go spend it. You know, in chadston or something like that, I, I could never sort of get past a few thousand dollars, and um, so I had financial independence was the, the the thing that really blew my mind. But a lot of people, and financial independence isn't a new concept; it's been around since probably the the you know the dawn of um, the creation of money. But a lot of financial independence um, strategies and advice and everything like that is geared towards people reaching it in their sixties, or if they're lucky, in their fifties. A lot of literature is written. About that, later in life you'll get to find it You'll get to be able to retire later on. So that's when I come across financial independence, and I can I can go on to fire if you like, because it sort of rolls into this story. So yeah, so financial independence. I was you know that's a good that's cool, but it's so many. It's it's still four decades away. And I just started working. Just started full time work, and then I come across this blog, and I'm sure a lot of people in the fire community out there listening can relate. Mr. Money Mustache. Now, what Pete? He he's a um, he's probably the leader of the modern day FIRE movement, I would say. And there was Vicky Robbins in the '90s who wrote a little bit about it. And there was blogs before Mr. Money Mustache. There was Early Retirement Extreme, um, JL Collins, a few other ones. And I actually come across those blogs uh, back in the day, but. They did. I remember reading early early retirement extreme, for example, which was essentially the same thing that Pete at Mister Money Mustache was writing about. But he was very extreme, <laughs> true to his name, and I could never relate to it. And, I, and he he never he wrote about things, and I, it just seems seemed so abstract. And that was a life that I would never want to live. So I'm just sort of going to can. It. It's a very interesting blog, you know, whatever. But Pete wrote a few articles, and probably the one that um Sort of, you know, exploded my mind again was the simple, the shockingly simple math to early retirement. And he sort of un, unveiled the math and the investing behind how he was able to reach financial independence at 30, realistically, without inheritance, without a, you know, extremely high paying job, although he did have a very good paying job. But it was so, um, it blew my mind so much. I, I remember reading it, and that's such a, great blog article i'd encourage anyone that you know wants to uh look into fire and how it works to read that article that completely changed my trajectory of of life pretty much because i had a new goal to work work towards because i just started full-time work uh at the end of 2011 and i think i stumbled across pete and what he was writing about in like 2013 and up until then, like I, I'd invested in an investment property. So I was sort of on the way to financial independence, but it was still decades away because that's what I was thinking, how long it was going to take. And then what Pete was writing about was like financial independence on steroids and how to practically actually do it. And the, the reason I think he's so popular and and the way, like, I think he's the leader of the, the modern day fire movement is because a lot of people think it's a, that, You know, fire is a financial thing. It's a you know concept about finance. It's actually a life philosophy. And what Pete was writing about first and foremost was how to live a great and happy life. And it just so happens that money plays a super important role in that. In you know, in modern day society. Um, So that was a long-winded answer, Kate. But essentially, that's how I come across um, financial independence and fire.
1: Mm. It's amazing how. Many people's lives have just been changed by that one blog that he wrote, and um, like so many people, I've I've sent that link to so many people, and we'll include it in the show notes because I think it's it's worth listening. And I definitely included it in our free fire course. But um, I think there's so many resources now, and it and as you mentioned, it is that lifestyle because it's not something that happens overnight. You can definitely speed it up, so it's not something you have to wait until your sixties to achieve. But you have to kind of build that mindset of. Um, of all those elements of financial independence and investing and sort of investing in what you love with your time and your energy. And um, I think another thing I wanted to talk to you about was a bit about your motivation and what you sort of learned along the way, because like a lot of us discover the idea of financial independence, but it's not until something sort of clicks inside that we can motivate, motivate ourselves to work towards this pretty extreme goal over 10 or 20 years.
2: Yeah, totally. My main motivation was getting back my time. That was the the main motivation. And the the, the story behind that was um, I started full-time work at the end of 2011. And I don't know about you guys like Kate or yourself, Owen, but I remember when I started full-time work in the corporate world, it hit me like a ton of bricks. The first two weeks, about I sort of knew when I was at uni. You know, everyone goes off. They work forty-hour weeks, and that's a lot. That is, that's a lot of hours in the week. But I guess what I didn't know, or what they don't tell you, is all the hours and time and energy preparing for work, de-stressing after work, commuting to work. So it's not just forty hours. It's 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 a lot more than that. And I just remember the first two weeks, I was just, and I, I was a pretty, you know, I was young, fit, healthy guy. I was exhausted. And I, I guess you do get used to it, but I just remember thinking there is no way that I want to be doing this for the next 40 years. Like you're, you're telling me this is how people do it for the next 40 years. And I could see the writing on the wall. I could see people at work that had just had a family and things were starting to slip, things that, that were important to them, um, their health, their fitness, maybe uh, playing footy, maybe, you know, going go golfing every Sunday, whatever it was. They would ha- They couldn't do everything. And then I could also see as I progressed in my career that you took on more responsibility, more things were expected of you, um, higher stress, higher higher anxiety. All those things come into play. And I was, I could just, I, I was like, there is no way I want to be stuck in this cycle. I refuse to accept that this is just how people do it. Um, there's got to be a better way. And that is sort of when I started to Google and I, I picked up books about. Financial independence, and I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and everything like that. But my main motivator was getting my precious time back in the week. I didn't ever want to have to lose any more time because I felt, as a young free person, that enough of my time was being um, taken away by this job. Which, by the way, I want to make very clear: I quite liked my job. It's not like I hated my job back then. But there was just a lot of BS, a lot of meetings, a lot of things I wasn't interested in. I was probably say like forty percent of my job was great. Interesting problem solving, like the technical side of it. Love that. All the other crap. No, thanks. And I didn't like, um, that I was, yeah, that, you know, I had to be here. I felt a little bit trapped and, um, I just invested in an investment property. So I had that looming over my head, this massive amount of debt that I'd never seen in my life. I'd just taken that on, even though the, the, the property was pretty much neutral Cash flow was a little bit negative. Um, I felt a little bit trapped and I was like, I got to get out of this situation. And, um, yeah, surely there's a better way. And I discovered that there was,
0: and yeah, that's it. I don't think you're alone in that at all, mate. I think it's, um, it's a reasonable thing. Um, you know, I speak to some people that are in retirement, right. Or approaching retirement and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to, to, to figure out if you're so bold to do it, how much of your life you actually spend at work or in your case, so you said preparing for work just in and around work and it's a substantial part of your life. And so I think for me, for me personally, it's slightly different. Like I try to just maximize my happiness and do what makes me happy while I'm working, because it gives me a sense of purpose as well. Um, so totally not alone in those feelings and those sentiments. Um, I guess one of the questions, Kate, I know you wanted to ask, maybe I'll I'll let you, maybe I'll let you ask this next one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I know you publish a lot on your blog as well. And so anyone who wants to sort of read your progress documented over many, many years can actually go and kind of see a historical representation of that. But I wanted to know how, how close are you to achieving your FIRE goals and how did you kind of work out what was enough for you?
2: Yeah. So there is, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard this, and if you haven't, um, there's heaps of literature out out there, Uh, but there's this thing called the 4% rule. And I first come across that uh, in that post from Mr. Money Mustache, as Kate, uh, I think you're going to put it in the show notes. It should really be, I I feel as though it's like the constitution of fire should be like enshrined somewhere in a museum or something. (laughs) Um, But basically, in a nutshell, I don't want to get too much into the weeds and the technicalities of it. If you can save or invest, that's a better word, definitely invest because you don't want to just have it in cash because that's not going to do it for you, especially in today's um, environment. You can invest 25 times your expenses. You, According to this study, the Trinity study, it's not perfect, but um, again, we're just trying to make it simple here. There's a pretty good chance that you can live off the returns on that portfolio, that snowball that you've accumulated at 25 times times. Uh, your annual expenses, you can live off that forever. Again, not perfect. And people pick it to shreds, but it's not sort of the, it's not the point of the 4% rule to like be set in stone. And it's it's always going to work and everything like that. Because what that is saying is you should be able to live live off that portfolio forever. And depending on how old you are, that forever might be 50, 60, 70 years, you know? So there's a lot of things you can do in between that time. Like a lot, I've seen a lot of crit- criticisms of the 4% rule. Um, and it's it's like, come on, if there's a big market crash straight after you pull the pin and stop working, there's things you can do, you can tighten your belt, um, you can not pull as much from the portfolio as you otherwise would have. Like there's a lot of different things, but it's just a it's a guiding principle. So that's essentially what I use and what I'm using, and um, we we track our expenses. I've done that religiously for many, many years, and uh, originally we wanted a million dollars in invested in the portfolio that's outside super and I, I've upped it now to one point two five so right now uh, we've got i think I haven't done this month's update, but I think it's around about seven hundred and sixty thousand invested, and that's not including my primary place of residency um, or super. So it's just cash, shares, and real estate. And we want to get to 1.25. So uh, I'm actually in the middle of selling our last investment property, but it it will be determined largely on market returns. Um, So maybe like 1.5, 2.5, 2.5 years away, depending on how the market um, does it. But to be honest with you, I'm sort of living the life right now that I want to live regardless because I've reached the point now where the portfolio, the the returns of the portfolio are eclipsing what we can actually put into it. So we, we aim for roughly $5,000 a month to like shovel in cash on the snowball to grow our portfolio, our fire portfolio. Um, And it's so large now that the market swings dictate more about, where the portfolio is going, then what we can actually add to it, which is really cool. But it's also scary because obviously the last month wasn't great, but, you know. Um, and yeah, that's essentially it in a nutshell. So we're trying to get to 1.25. But right now, like we spoke a little bit, bit about uh, before we started recording, I'm only working 20 hours a week. And so I'm sort of doing the um, semi-retirement life anyway. And I think I'll do that forever or until it's not fun. Like I'm a freelance data and analytics consultant, which is that's the work I love doing. And I get to do really, really fun work, meaningful work. Um, it's like solving a puzzle. I love it. Uh, and I don't have to deal with like the bureaucracy and the BS like office politics because I'm a consultant now. Um, so in a weird sort of way, I'm, so, I'm sort of living, you know, what, how I want to live right now, but I officially haven't reached financial independence, which will be yeah a few years away. Hey,
0: quick question, because it's a we in there, right? Like it's the two of you. Yeah. How did the other half take it when you started on this movement or like, you know? Yeah. That's, how, that's a, how does the relationship fare into fire?
2: It's a fantastic topic, uh, Owen. And so how's the story go? So I basically stumbled across, yeah, financial independence, Mr. Money Mustache. I was obsessed with it. Like insanely, I used to consume 20 articles a day nearly like I I I'm, my wife my now wife you can ask her I used to pull up she used to you know wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be on my phone with a calculator like just doing sums and I was like oh man if I do this and this rate of return like I was I was on an, another level of obsessness and that sort of died now like the closer you get towards the end goal it's funny that I sort of don't care about money and investing as much as I used to but it's a whole nother topic so um so I went down I'm like Yeah, I want to reach financial independence, and at that point, I was investing in properties, and that was sort of the you know quote unquote smart thing to do at the time. Uh, It still is. I don't you know hate property investing. Don't get me wrong, but um, and my partner back then, who's now my wife, I guess she was you know awesome. Matt, you go do you and you know make us all this money, and that's 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 amazing. And we didn't join our finances until 2016, I believe. And when we joined them, like I can. I can categorically say to everyone out there listening, we, or I would not have half as much or not, yeah, not have accumulated half as much wealth without her help, because there are so many things you can do with, uh, in a partnership. If you're on the same direction and moving towards the same goal, then you can as a single person. So people look at our net worth. They're like, wow, that's a lot of money for, you know, even a couple to have accumulated. And I can definitely say that, uh, we, we we i've gotten further even if you you slice it in half and you know um w- with her because we can um there's a lot of expenses that can be sort of uh i don't know like consolidated with a couple that you, you have to sort of just cop on the chin as a single person i hope i'm explaining that um yeah like even guys, things like
0: rent or like yeah exactly health exactly. insurance there's so many ways to, exactly yeah. there's
2: there's a, a, like food even the wastage of food so We joined finances. Now I'm so so blessed that I found someone that I love who was decent. Or yeah, I'm gonna say great with money for any normal person. I was just on it like another planet with um, the optimization. But she was very good with money. A a naturally frugal person. Um, She didn't know too much about investing, but frugal and good with money and like you know waiting for the bargains and everything. I got really really lucky that she was like that. Now I was on I was very obsessed with it and we sort of balanced each other out over time, which has been really nice because I'm a lot more relaxed about money. back in the day I used to set hardcore budgets and try to stick to them religiously. I don't do that anymore we're sort of we've got to a equilibrium of like where we just sort of spend our money and we know roughly how much we're going to spend and it's just sort of happened it's really really nice at the moment. Um, so I never really put any like hard restrictions on her or anything. Like it was more about how much am I going to spend and how much am I going to save, even though we did have joint finances. And I guess we're just sensible sensible about like she buys whatever she wants. I buy whatever we whatever I want. Um, If there's a big decision to be made, like obviously buying a house, buying a car, we're going to talk to each other about it. Um, But like I guess I'm just really, really lucky in this regard, but we've never had any issues with this. But and I know that's I don't know if that's the norm or not because I know a lot of people write in and they're like, I've got a partner who's a bit, you know, spendy. How do I get them on board with the fire movement? I've never had that problem. It was she was always doing her thing. I was doing my thing. And we were just a team and we worked really, really well together. We saved a you know bucket load of money and it's it's sort of just worked out. Like I, I know everyone out there listening, I know I've been blessed in this regard. So sorry that I can't really um, you know, give any great
0: advice on how to, you know, get a partner across or anything like that. So you've never I was going to actually follow in, follow up on that. So you've never found like good advice or strategies that help get a partner on board with the fire movement? Like, is it have any of your? Because I know you have got a huge community right around you and Aussie Firebug.
2: Yeah, it get it. It definitely is a question that pops up all the time. Like I see it, and I can never really, um, you know, I, I don't have too much experience. Like honestly, hand over heart, I can't say that. I really have a great strategy on how to get a partner across. Like it would be, it'd be tough. All I could say is that there's nothing worse than sort of forcing people to do something that they don't want to do. Like, if you're gonna, I would, I would sort of say, um, oh, I guess one thing I could say is my wife at the start, (laughs) this is so funny to, to talk about now, but she didn't really believe it was possible. Like when I was talking about this and I was, I was, you know, obsessed with it. So I'm talking to her about, Hey, check this out. We're, we're going to um, get to a point where we don't have to work. She revealed to me later on in life that she was like, I just thought that was a pipe dream. Like, I didn't actually think we would actually get anywhere near it. And um, I guess if you explain to your partner, what what is your ideal life? And then how does money as a tool help build that ideal, ideal life? I, I think that would be a better way to go about it. And I think people can, like, especially if you're trying to get someone on board, the idea of saving and sacrificing, because that's what you might have to do. Um, I don't recommend it. I think if you're going to you know, adopt a fire lifestyle, you really want to change your mindset about how to live an awesome life whilst being super um, optimizing all your expenses and being you know, naturally frugal. But there are some people that just want to sacrifice a little bit to then live a better life later on. And if you're gonna do that, I wouldn't. I'd say that don't aim for like full financial independence because it might be 15 years away or you know something like that. But try to aim for one or two days off a year because that's really, really possible after like three or four years. You know, depending on there's a whole bunch of uh, variables there. But if you only need to shave one or two days off to be to be way more happier and live a fantastic life, then a couple years, you know. Three, four, five years of investing and saving, and maybe sacrificing a few holidays here and there, is really realistic for a lot of people out there. You just got to, you know, know what you're doing and like do the right strategy and understand the math behind it. Uh, and I think that would be uh, an easier pill to swallow
0: for a partner. That's great. That's great advice, mate. I think um, the hardest the hardest questions that we get is people that are involved in finance. Come back to relationships, not just with other people, but with things as well. Mm. So, um, which fire obviously touches on all of that. So, um, our our listeners will be really keen to know how do you basically go about investing your money to achieve fire. So, you mentioned before that you're in the process of selling an investment property, um, and you made a comment before that you don't necessarily, you know, don't hate property. You're not like anti-property or anything like that. But can you just describe maybe how your your strategy started and where it's at now?
2: Absolutely, yeah, interesting story. So. Uh, like I mentioned before, you know, around the dinner table at my house was all about property and smart people investing property. Um, we'd talk about, i got two older sisters. Um, if one of their friends had been uh, or bought a, a property, it was like, wow, they're doing well for themselves. And look at, you know, this person go, even though we had no idea about you know, their, their finances are there. They could be, you know, swimming in debt. They could be, you know, $400 a week trying to um, pay back repayments. None of that mattered. It was just about how many properties I had. Uh, so I wanted to be a smart person. So I bought an investment property at, I want to say like 23 or something, 24. And uh, it was just before the um, first home buyers grant was ending because back then it actually, you know, dried up. I think it's back now, isn't it? Or you get like the stamp duty off or something. But Back then, it was it was just about to end, and I got in literally like the day before it ended, and um, and I was on the road. So as I said, I, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, but one book I failed to mention in the previous previous story was I was convinced that my road to freedom was through properties, it wasn't through shares because I didn't know about shares back then. I thought the share market was a casino. I thought you put money in, it goes down. You know, Elon Musk tweets this. Donald Trump tweets that. It's crazy. It's all over the place. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You, you, you know, you need a, a masters. A, a you need to be a professor of investing. No, nah, not for me. I understand property. I can see it, feel it, all that good stuff. So I read a book called. I read heaps of property books, but my favorite author was Stephen McKnight, and he's very famous for the extremely clickbait title mm. um, 130 mm. properties in 2.5 <laughs> years which is just yeah. insane and trust me everyone out there listening this guy is actually legit i've been to yeah. seminars that the the strategy that he did and he actually did buy 130 properties in 2.5 years but it is so it, the, the strategy he used you can't use in today's market like he got in at such a unique and unique time and the strategy was so niche that it was like basically like no one else could have possibly done what he did. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. So I was Mr. Property back then. I was all about property. I used to anyone at the pub, you want to talk property. And it is a, it's a good conversation starter, isn't it? Like you, you've been to the pub and you talk friends like properties, the, the barbecue talk. So um, I was on the road. I, I got up to three properties um, before I maxed out my lending capacity. And I was basically the strategy. This is such a classic strategy. It was like, I'm going to buy 10 properties, sit on them for 10 years, sell half, live off the rent. Easy, right? Like everyone's doing that. That's how heaps of boomers have got rich. So I got to go for my number four and I maxed out my lending capacity. And, you know, I was obsessed with this goal, financial independence. I'm like, well, I'm not going to let that stop me. So what other options do I have? And that's when I come back to Mister Money Mustache because I'd already saw, I'd already read him at that point, but I thought ah oh, share that must be an American thing, whatever. Like, but I got I went back to the share market because it, I didn't need other like institutions, banks to get me going in there. So I thought, all right, I can't buy any more properties. What else am I going to do? So I researched the um, the share market, uh, read Mister read a few more articles, um, picked up the Bogleheads Guide to Investing, um, you know all these share market books. And I decided, and that's actually at the same time that me and my now wife joined our finances. And I thought we had heaps of discussions and I seriously was researching it, you know, um analysis paralysis for like a year, a year and a half before we started buying shares. And then I thought, all right, look, and Chrissy's my, my wife's name. I said, look, Chrissy, let's do this share thing. And if it works out, like, let's just do it for a year and see how we're feeling after a year. And then we'll figure it out. Because I think when we joined finances, like she had a wage. So obviously our lending capacity opened up a little bit. So we probably could have went for a fourth and fifth property if we wanted to. And we did it for a year. And there are certain advantages and disadvantages with every asset class. But at that point in my life, I'd done a few renovations in properties and I was getting really sick of going down to my investment property and adding value to it every weekend for like I think I did that for you know at least 15 16 weekends it was a lot it was a lot of physical work and it actually paid off in the end but i realized that well over time i just i got over property as an investment class i i wasn't as obsessed as i once was and my uh, my wants and desires started to shift my priorities and after we invested in shares and i seen how passive and how hands off shares is compared to property we made the decision We're going to slowly over time, sell our investment properties and put all that money into shares. And I had a, like in my head, the goal to financial independence was a lot clearer through shares than it was through investment property. Investment property is a weird one. And again, let everyone know I'm not against investment property. I think it's a fantastic asset class for the right person, but it's a bit of a weird one because I I never felt like I was investing properly with property. I know that sounds weird, but the game in Australia for 90% of property is you buy it, you might lose money for five years. You might have it, be lucky and have it neutrally geared, positively geared if you're lucky. Rent might rise a little bit, but the real payoff is at the very end. Now, I know you can withdraw equity and you can bankroll that onto the next one. I did that. Like I understand all those strategies, but I just it never sat well with me that type of investing, but when I invested in shares, it it just clicked. I don't know that it just. I guess you either lean one way or the other, or yeah, there's there's different asset classes, but with shares, I just like the idea of starting with this little snowball, and you keep piling on snow, it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, It starts rolling down the hill, and then market gains, and you and you get the capital gains, and then four times a year money arrives in your account through dividends like magic like you haven't even done anything and it's just like you get a little check i just thought that was the coolest thing in the world and and like i said the the um math and how to work out we were financially independent was a lot easier and a lot more succinct and clear the road was a, a, a lot uh, easier to understand with chairs so yeah, we made the choice after a year. We loved what the shares were doing. And I guess we got lucky because the market was quite strong. Like, can you imagine if I invested in shares in 2007? You know, and this is where timing is everything. Timing's everything in our, you know. So anyway, we um, we really like shares and, uh, you yeah, know, we made the decision. So we're going to sell out the property. We, we were done with them. I didn't want to actively manage them anymore. Still love it as an investment class. i want to make that clear. Uh, but we were more, Geared towards passive investing and then following our passions. You know, like obviously uh, working on my business now, the freelance business, and doing my Aussie Firebug podcast and blog and everything like that. Um, so, yeah, that's the story. And our last one is in the middle of being
0: sold right now. Hmm. Cool. I love it. It's a really, really interesting thing. And I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling that you had around not feeling like you're doing it properly. Um, because we look at people on the news, right, and they're like finance people. They wear shirts and they're talking about really complex things and financial markets and all this type of crap. Um, yeah, I, I love it. And um, for those of listeners that don't know about Matt's website, Aussie Firebug, uh, you can head there and there's a there's a tap at the top for net worth and it breaks down all of the different strategies and 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 kind of where he's at. So it's really interesting. Kate, over to you.
1: Yeah, I think that's been one of the amazing things about reading like five blogs like yours and Mr. Money Mustache is actually having a look behind the scenes about how people are investing and structuring their life and really designing it in a way that suits them. And I think there's so many resources you can look at nowadays and just not to necessarily take advice from, but just to see how other people are doing things. And when you're trying to figure it out for yourself, it's a good place to start. Um, And I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you think the hardest part of working towards financial independence has been for you.
2: Mm, The hardest part, um, I would say at the the very start, this is sort of counterintuitive to think about, but I almost wish I didn't discover fire at the very start of my career because I was quite I'm not going to say depressed but I was quite like upset that it was going to be so far away and it actually made it made me hate my job a little bit at the start like I was quite liking my job and I don't know there's something about like okay this is my life for the next 40 years you know it it could be worse like this this is fine it's quite good actually and then I'm like oh there's this thing called fire and you can you know, do whatever you want and you can have all this time and freedom and options and days off and this is amazing oh, it's like 10 years away, it's 15 years away. And now I'm like, oh, slumping in my chair and I'm like, this is crap, like hurry up time, you know. So that was the, I guess the mindset of um, trying to like, uh, you know, I wanted to speed up time early on in the piece. And that is such a, such a bad uh, mindset to have. Like we should never, ever waste our time. It is the most precious resource that we have. Like this whole thing, of financial independence and, um, you know, fire and everything is about getting our time back. It is is the most precious thing we have. So, um, yeah, getting out of that funk of uh, wishing my time away w- was a bit difficult. And then I never really had, like some people say that sacrificing things um, is hard for them, but I didn't really sacrifice too much. In in fact, I, I, I probably sacrificed um, – I went overboard with the sacrifice scene and that was my own decision. Like I never felt like um, whenever I didn't buy something that I really wanted to buy it at the very start, I was so obsessed. And I got, it was, and I would tell anyone this, that you you definitely want to live your life and make sure that you're doing things, especially, you know, early on in the piece, because there's, um, there's certain things you can never, ever get back in your life. And I'll say like, I'll, I'll give you an example I skipped a few, I skipped a Euro trip with, with the boys um, back back in the day, and I had enough money to do it. And now I regret that. And I hate using that word, but I regret that now because it doesn't move the needle that much in my goal, my overarching goal of financial independence. It wouldn't have moved the needle that much. And I can never, ever, ever get back going to Europe with a whole bunch of my best mates when I was like 26 or 27, whenever they went. Now, mind you, I have traveled extensively. Like I'm definitely, this is a first world problem here. Um, I've done traveling. I'm not saying I haven't, but that one trip, I, it, you know, I, I regret. I don't regret not going to the pub every weekend and like just sort of pissing my money away, $200 every single weekend. Like I did that when I was 18, 19, 20, I definitely was at the pub and then I got over it. And they're the sort of things that, you know, the optimizing your expenses, you know, that that is probably, in my opinion, I, I feel like I never regretted and it was worth me saving my money, in, you know, in, in those situations. But there's certain situations, and it's going to be different for everyone out there listening, where you just need to have, to have that fine balance. Um, so, yeah, I hope that, hope that answered your question. I, I think probably the sacrificing is the hardest, but I never felt like I sacrificed too much, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important not to put your life on pause for 10 years while you're yes. working towards... Financial independence—you've got to sort of design a life you want to live on the way.
2: Hundred percent, hundred percent. And Kate, can I can I um come back to something that you mentioned yeah. earlier about the um the net, my net worth posts and everything like that, and like having numbers and things that you can tangibly see and understand how they reached a point. Because I want to, I want everyone to know that yes, I do put my, not my um, ow my wife and I's net worth out there online updated every single month. And the reason I want everyone to know that the reason I do that is it was actually, it was a little bit selfish because when I first started back in 2015, the blog, um, everyone was writing about this fire thing in America. There was no fire blogs in Australia. And I wanted to know if this thing, if this concept of extreme um, retirement, early early re- retirement and financial independence at such a young age, it was actually applicable and doable in Australia. So I started writing about it, and I started putting myself out there. Full transparency: how much we were earning, how much we we're spending, what we we're saving, what we we're invested in. And I, I did it for a few reasons, but one of them, one of the major reason, was so really smart people would pick it apart. It was actually selfish. I wanted to. I was like, hopefully, some some smart people, some accountants, some you know, financial planners, whatever. And that's totally what happened. And it's funny because some of the best parts of my articles are actually in the comment section. They're not even in the article. It's it's like these really, really clever people and the community has has told me what I'm doing right and wrong. So I just wanted to make that clear. And I also, there's nothing worse, well, for me anyway, when you read some stories on like news.com or you know money.com, whatever, um, couple, 25, 26, just purchased 15th investment property, see how they did it. And you read the article and it's got absolutely zero um, information about- whether or not their parents helped them out, whether or not they got an inheritance, whether or not they're on half a million dollars each in income a year. And then conveniently, most of the time at the end of those articles, um, you know, see how um, Joe and Linda did it. They've just now started a, uh, a property investing company or something like that. And it's almost convenient that it's like some sort of advert. So I didn't want to be one of those people to be like, it's not a brag thing. I just don't want to make that clear that I didn't want to just put myself out there. Hey, look how much money we've got. Look at, you know, I I wanted to show people what, how we actually did it. Some tens, some numbers, some facts, some data. And um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to make that clear.
0: That's completely reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks.
1: (laughs) No, I think that's it's important because you do, there's always I feel like it's every week on Twitter, someone sharing. Oh, there's another one of those articles where 23 year old buys property, but entire deposit given by parents who so they didn't actually save anything.
2: I know, I know. That's exactly. I didn't want to be one of those people. So that's yeah, that's. And I w- always used to read those articles, and I was like, "This is amazing. These people. This is where I want to be. Tell me how they did it." And you, you could never ever find about how they did it. And it was always about, "Hey, if you want to know." join this company pay all this money and pay all this money will reveal our secrets i'm thinking if you're financially independent why, why are you charging people money but that, anyway that's a that's a whole <laughs> other thing
0: um yeah we've got we've got pretty good time for two more questions um it's been an awesome chat so far so hopefully these two um end on a good note kate what's your final question for matt
1: i think when people hear about the idea of financial independence there's a lot of sort of myths or sort of rumours floating around. And I'd love to know if there's any myths about the financial independence movement that you'd love to dispel on this episode.
2: Absolutely. I'm so happy you asked this uh, question, Kate, because I've got two. The two big ones, everyone trips up uh, about this. And um, the first one is, and I you know, forgive majority of people because it's in, it's in the bloody acronym. It's the retire early part of FIRE that everyone gets tripped up on. And what they think of, they might read, hey, these people are like saving all this money and then they don't want to work. And that's completely not true. I've yet to meet one person that has reached fire or is on the way to fire that doesn't want to work. And again, I forgive everyone because the word retirement has a certain connotation to it. So um, probably is not the best word even to describe what we're trying to do, but it's a catchy acronym. So, you know, we're, we're stuck dealing with it. Um, so to me, retire the retire early part of fire had always been about retiring from the rat race or the cubicle. It was never about work. Meaningful work, something that your passion that brings something that you're passionate about that brings you meaning is awesome. Awesome. I, I'm doing that now. I want to do it till the day I die. And I, every single person that I've met wants to do meaningful work. Every single person. In fact, most of them when they reach financial independence that's what they do They, they quit they retire from their job and they go on to meaningful work now whether or not that's paid or unpaid doesn't matter nine times out of 10 probably 99 times out of 100 they will go on to make money in the field of their passion and sometimes not all the time they end up making more money in the field of their passion because that's just how it works. They're really passionate about it. They're probably doing, you know, 60 hours a week, but it doesn't feel like work because they're so passionate about it. So anyway, that's a whole nother thing. But that's a huge myth I want to dispel that we don't want to work. We do. It's actually, you know, part of the reason we, we reach financial independence so we can do meaningful work. Uh, the second one is, and this is a little bit more, you know, I, I want to dispel this, you know, make this clear is we are all living uh, in tents and we're eating rice and beans. Absolutely false. I don't know anyone that lives like that. Look, there, there are some extreme people. And I blame mainstream media for this. Whenever they do run a fire story, they will get the extreme people. It's no different to a lot of other niches or a lot, a lot of other movements. They'll interview someone that that pretty much is living in a tent and eating rice and beans. And everyone thinks that everyone that's doing fire is doing that. Here's like the 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 deal, basically. If you can save, if you've got a savings rate, the whole concept of FIRE is really down to how much you can save. It is, you know, how much you earn and everything, but it's less how much you earn, it's more about how much you burn. If you've got a savings rate of 60%, I think the math is you can retire roughly or you can reach financial independence in roughly 10 years, right? So, it's, so optimizing expenses is by far the biggest bang for your dollar. And then like increasing your income is obviously very important. And then investing your money is very important as well. But I just want to make that clear that, um, yeah, we, we live a fantastic life and you can follow, you know, aussiefirebug.com, my website is predominantly about our journey to fire. And if you look at the the um, articles, we live a fantastic life, I think, like a fantastic life. The mainstream, not mainstream media, the, the marketing machine consumerism has sort of warped a lot of people's minds about what you actually need to be happy. You need this, you need that. You don't need any of that. Like there's there's a few staple things like shelter, your food, uh, community, significant other, relationships. Those are the key staple things that makes a human being happy. All this other stuff is fluff. And I just um, you know, I want to make that clear that it, a great life in Australia doesn't actually cost a lot of money. And that is that's the key. That that's what makes fire work. The retire early part. People think it's extreme frugality, but really it's just getting back to basics and identifying what makes you happy and then zoning in on that and being extremely um, optimizing all your expenses. That That's probably, if I were to say like the movement where we're crazy in any regard, I'd say it's the optimization. That's really where we're where a bit of freaks in. Um, yeah. And that's it. That's that's uh, my thoughts on that.
0: Cool. I like it. So no tents for you and- <laughs> Hey, camping's yeah, fun. Tent, tents, yeah. there's nothing wrong with it's tents. A, but no. it's, a, it's actually a cheap, good holiday, you know? It, it's Especially fantastic. Especially if you got kids and whatever. Yeah. yeah. And
2: i got to say, like, we just bought a house recently. You know, we bought a four bedroom on a, a 700 square meter block that cost half a million dollars. Now I know, you know, people in Sydney and Melbourne are probably like, oh my God, that's, that's so cheap, you know? But that's a lot of money, you know? That's a lot of money. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to make the point that, I think we live an extremely abundant lifestyle. It's not going to be as as abundant as probably like a normal quote unquote normal lifestyle that an Australian like sort of the marketing machine tells you that you should live. Like I drive a Camry for God's sake. It's a it's a grandpa car, and you know there's a few other things that you, you you know people would be like what, but. I, my point is i think we live an awesome life and that's that's the the, the goal and we live a healthy life and we're, we're healthy we're happy and um you know i'm doing meaningful work which is what it's all about i think
0: yeah cool ditto um one final question from me other than aussiefirebug.com uh, you've got the podcast ask firebug fridays which is super cool too it's like a segment in there um where else can our listeners go to kind of start their own journey and um, not just necessarily, you know, you've got great articles, but where else would you say that for them to go as well? Yeah, great, great question.
2: Um, there's so many good content creators in Australia in this space now. So I can recommend a few. If you are interested in the investing side, because, and uh, this is where everyone starts, and it's really not the most important thing, because I said fire is almost like a life philosophy. I would say investing, there's a great website, uh, passiveinvesting.com.au, uh, maybe um that will answer most like 95 percent of your questions about the fire movement common questions like should i invest in my mortgage or should i pay down my mortgage first should i invest or or invest like heaps of really super common questions that website will answer i always tell in my facebook group i'm like read this website it's only going to take you like two days to read the entire website and then if you've still got an investing question, then ask it. But really, this group in Facebook should be more about lifestyle design and choices and like interesting things rather than investing because that's the boring stuff. And then in terms of um, like other great fire uh, content and reading materials, um, you've got uh, Dave at strongmoney.com. He is awesome. Um, Pat at lifelongshuffle. Um, you've got moneyflamingo.com. Uh, I think it is. Uh, she's great. Um, I'm, I'm missing a heap. Uh, Lacey Filipich, she has a book, uh, Money School. she's fantastic. All Australian bases, all Australian content creators. And of course, if you want to start as well, you can go to the Godfather himself. Mr. Money mustache is, is a classic. he he is a fantastic writer. Um, you can't really go past him, but he is, He's actually Canadian, but he's living in America. So a lot of the stuff he's writing about isn't going to be applicable to this audience, uh, but he's fantastic because the concept and the principles of FIRE, um, uh, they're country independent. They work everywhere. Um, so there's some great resources that
0: people can look at. Sure. We'll provide all, all the links to those. I think Kate's mentioned them in the FIRE course that she's created too. Oh, in the um, FIRE course,
2: of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah as,
0: as, as well as... Um, no, as, as well as your website. So we'll provide all the links there to the podcast. It's great to see it, mate. Crack the top 10 in business. I, I did. I did. I actually, I, I seen, um, I,
2: I don't even know if I'm like anywhere close at the moment, but I, I remember it was just, it might've just been after you come on, Owen, or one of the um, the podcast that was doing quite well. i seen the stats and I'm like, oh, I'll check the top 10 now because I know the algorithm like um favors you know more content constantly and you know so i I had a look and it was uh, yeah the the and firebug podcast got in the top 10 in itunes business and i was so i was just i was like wow this is this is insane so yeah it's a real
0: deal (laughs) uh well yeah
2: look i I would have never imagined in a million years that um because it's such a niche topic like i think Mm. personal finance is such a big umbrella and fire has to be at one of the most extreme ends of that umbrella. So for my show to be a top 10, I just, I feel blessed and humbled. And, you know, thanks for everyone out there that has supported the show over
0: the years. Uh, truly blessed. Mm, I'm sure you'll get a few more listeners out of this, mate. So <laughs> thank you. Thanks for joining Kate and I on the show. We really appreciate it. No worries. It's been a pleasure
2: uh, to be on, guys. Keep doing amazing work. I love this podcast. It's always on my downloads in my Spotify.
0: So uh, yeah, hats off to you. Thanks, mate. And Kate, as always, thanks for joining me.